And you are very welcome along to this week's edition of The Snap. If you haven't already, make sure that you sign up to our American football newsletter, OTB Club Gridiron. We've got the very latest content from The Snap, the latest American football news from both Ireland and the USA, from offtheball.com. we get your podcast as well as both in long, long and short form video. All included, you can subscribe at offtheball.com forward slash Club Gridiron and enjoy all that OTB Club Gridiron has to offer. Let's welcome our guests who are dressed to the nines for our formal Friday. It's Kian Fahey and Rona Mullen. Kian, uh, apparently you never wear a suit. You've even got a tie on for us. You must be getting married. Is that what's going on? I assume we're following wedding rules where I can progressively get less and less of a suit being worn. No, I've avoided wearing a suit for about three years. Uh, actually, years and years ago, um, one of the big TV executives in America told me that the only requirement he had for people on his show was that they wore suits because they would do absolutely ridiculous nonsense content and the suit provided some seriousness. So this show can get into the depths of that, I guess. That's a good idea. And this could be your new shtick. You wear a suit, you say ridiculous things, everybody takes you seriously. I mean, it seems to work for a lot of people out there. Well, it's very prevalent in America. Not so much over here. Uh, how are you getting on, Ronan? All good, Jer. I saw Andy Reid rocking the Hawaiian shirt last night. I was thinking I might go for that option, but I reverted to my ori- original plan anyway. All right, if anybody wants to get involved, it's Formal Friday. We're all dressing up today. You can do this yourself at home. You can um, uh, post video using the hashtag Formal Friday, or better still, you can donate uh, offtheball.com forward slash donate. There's over 50 grand raised already across the day from us and uh, our buddies on uh, Today FM and News Talk and everybody else. Anyway, let's get into the draft because this is one of my favorite shows of the year where a lot of heat and uh, not much light just yet because the truth is we don't know what's going to happen with most of these players. And as a result, we can be as excited or is down on any of these teams, and it's uh, it's kind of a free shot for lots of people. Let's start with Tua. I think that's kind of the, the the obvious place to start, and then we can also talk the quarterback situation at Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers not very happy, I suspect, by the fact that this year's first-round pick has been blown. Blown, if you're uh, in the Rodgers camp on a QB. But Tua did indeed go to the Miami Dolphins at five. They didn't have to trade up, and they didn't blow the pick. They just picked the best player for that franchise, according to what they wanted to do for about 18 months. All the smoke screens were just that keen. Do you agree with this pick? Um, yeah, in, in the sense that they kind of had to do it at this stage. The the Dolphins had po- talked themselves into to it for over, or over 12 months, and they had no real option once they started winning games that they were in the fifth pick, they had the fifth pick, so they were only going to get to it. There was no chance of Joe Burrow being in the mix. It was interesting that... All week, all the talk was about how they were going to trade up, and then nothing materialized in the first 10 picks of the whole draft. There wasn't a single trade until the 49ers, and that was only to drop back one spot to 14th overall. From the Dolphins' point of view, and I'm just trying to pick it up here again because I've literally just this moment forgotten who their other pick was in the in the first round, but from the Dolphins' point of view, they've got their foundation right now. They've got their... Uh, their future for like whether it works out or not tied to Tua for the next five or six years. So, well, not the next five years or because it's a rookie contract. You've got four years on the base and then the extra one option at the end. The This changes the direction for the Dolphins and it changes the whole uh, outlook for the team. So from the next point of view, if or from the management point of view, it's a massive PR win for Brian Flores. He's already very popular there. He's already won more games than he was expected to, which went well with fans, even though the rest of us as analysts will criticize them because they should have lost those games. But now he's also got the quarterback everyone there had wanted for the last year as well so they won't care about the injury they don't care about the evaluation they've got their guy they've got their head coach they've got their quarterback and they've got plenty of draft picks they don't have to give any up to go and get him from an actual playing point of view 
whether he comes in there and changes anything, like in the media, in the media future, he won't change anything. If he plays ahead of Ryan Fitzpatrick at all over the first 12 games of this season, it'll be a big step for him. When he comes in, he's going to be more aggressive. Well, he's not going to be more aggressive, but he's going to be a better deep thrower than than uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is. And this brings me to the second pick that they had in this class. We kind of have to talk talk about these guys together because they took Austin Jackson, uh, UFC offensive tackle, a guy who was celebrated massively uh, a year ago, not as much this year, fell in the draft, obviously wasn't in the top 10 picks, was in the Dolphins' second pick in the first round. He's now going to be their left tackle, most likely. Him and Tua together will be a foundation. Hitting on a left tackle and hitting on a quarterback in the same draft is a very, very difficult thing to do. But if you manage to do it, you all, you have that uh, you have the two toughest positions to fill in your offense, and you can build everything else relatively easily if you know what you're doing, if you're smart about what you're doing. They've got Devontae Parker there. They've got Preston Williams there as two tall, long, very uh, aggressive, deep route runners, guys who will make adjustments at the catch point. And, and they caught more inaccurate passes on deep throws last year for Ryan Fitzpatrick than any other receiver tandem in the league. So you've got options there. Two of fits exactly what they want to do. Now it's all just about whether that hip holds up and whether he can translate to the NFL. Yeah, it, it brings excitement to the franchise as well. That, I think more importantly over the last couple of years that you know when you have Ryan Fitzpatrick as your starting QB, obviously very uh, interesting character. Blah 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 blah. Ain't going to be the type of thing that's going to make everybody be excited. Their tanking process has worked, and as you said, they've got a coach who seems to know exactly what he's doing with an absolutely abysmal team who was trading away their best player uh, five, six, seven weeks into the season. They managed to win five games, which is quite the achievement. You're now sprinkling in this, the fact that everybody's back. Uh, thinking that the team can win. There's a there's a sea change, I think, around the franchise where it looks like they're headed in the right direction, which you couldn't say when they had Adam Gase there. It's also kind of funny that, like, over recent years when they had Ryan Tannehill, they were making all these boring picks. Like, Christian Wilkins last year was a pick I loved, but no fan gets excited when you pick a defensive tackle. No fan gets excited when you pick Laramie Tunsil, although Laramie Tunsil was probably a different situation because he fell on draft night because of that whole gas mask thing that happened, yeah. which, if you don't know what I'm talking about, is a very weird reference to make. But he, he fell in the draft from a top three prospect to top 16 or whatever it was so he probably was an exception but overall the Dolphins have always been notoriously boring they've always picked quarterbacks or not quarterbacks they've always picked prospects who have bored their fans and who haven't created any excitement this is the exact opposite they've got the guy who everyone like when you say the name Tua everyone knows him already they don't have to even explain who he is in America he's a huge star because he played at Alabama because he was really good in the national championship games because he was really good in the regular seasons and he became this quarterback at Alabama who like Jalen Hurts was pretty good before him but he came this quarterback at Alabama who changed the way Alabama quarterbacks were they used to be just game managers when Tua came in he was actually playing really well playing at a really high level so from a Dolphins perspective you've now got a guy who you're excited about and even if you go back to Ryan Tannehill Ryan Tannehill was not a hugely celebrated quarterback prospect the way Tua is, and he was also a converted wide receiver. So you're not getting like the the I guess prototype was the wrong word, but you're not getting the same level of celebration and excitement that you got that you get with Tua that you have gotten previous years. So from Dolphins fans' point of view, I I think you'd have to go back. Like you can even even if you go back ten years, they picked Ted Ginn in the top ten, and everyone knew Ted Ginn wasn't going to be a top ten receiver. They just made a ridiculous decision, and they made like Jake Jake Long. You go through all these guys who were just boring, boring draft picks. This is the most exciting draft pick they've had for twenty years at least, I think. Yeah, I mean it's the first time they've had a, a QB that they're going to sell as a franchise QB essentially since Dan Marino. Their third pick was a, a cornerback, which has kind of come in for a little bit of criticism. People saying that it might be a bit of a reach. What do you make of this pick, Rodan? 
Yeah, it's a funny one because Tua has been a byword for risk since uh, since that injury. And yet you look at his efficiency as a passer in college, he's far from a risk. But it's kind of like when Zlatan Ibrahimovic got that career-ending injury or so it looked like. And everyone was calling him a medical marvel saying, oh, his knee's better than it was before. So there's a lot of PR, as Keane said, with Tua. But I think if all else was equal, and the Joe Burrow story is a well-worn one now, but I think if all, all else was equal, Tua would have been the best quarterback in this draft last and the Bengals might have thought differently if that injury hadn't incurred but as as Keen said like much like the Cardinals 12 months ago you could never have foreseen the change in fortunes where the fan base has been revitalized by just a couple of shrewd moves and like the, the fact that they, they tied up Byron Jones who's now the I think the highest paid cornerback in the league at this stage having left the Cowboys so it's not as if this isn't going to be a long drawn out building block for the Miami Dolphins they're thinking maybe not win now as in this upcoming season, but they're ready to go for it with two. Yeah, I think just, and people might not have noticed this, but they've they invested a huge amount of money in two cornerbacks. Uh, so now they've got uh, two cornerbacks that they've just signed on the open market and a first round pick who's going to go in the slot for them. So they have... Xavier Howard. Yeah, that's okay. So maybe Xavier Howard isn't as good as uh, as everybody told Oh, no, him. he is. He is, but, okay. All right. So but that, that's that's the point, though. You've got Xavier Howard with Byron Jones on the outside. So Noah, I'm not even going to attempt his second name. Noah, we're going to call that cornerback. He's going to be probably the slot guy, the third option. So you're going to move him around depending on how the other two work. And if you look at where uh, Flores came from, he came from the Patriots defense that had cornerback after cornerback after cornerback after cornerback, guys who were not even in the active roster on game days who could start for other teams. So this is very much a, a Belichick-like approach on defense, at least. I, I sucker myself into this most years, Keen, but it feels like there are more teams getting their shit together at the moment than there have been for a long period of time, even if you were to go through it. So for the first time, we're going to have the Bengals have a good QB. They've actually got a, a reasonable receiving core, a decent tight end and a, a decent running back uh, room. So they will be a team, at least, that will be interesting to watch over the next 12 months. The, um, the team from Washington have, I think, five first-round picks in their defensive line and they still have a first round pick who may or may not ever play again. Five top 20. Um, which? Five top Five 20 in the picks. Five top 20. It's not, top. Even just, not even just the first round. Yeah, and and they've got the generational pass rusher that people had a, a 99 out of 100 grade for which you know you almost never see. So, um, all of, And they've got a coach who knows what he's doing. Now, on the attacking side of the ball, let's wait and see if they're actually any good. But at least their defence is going to make every game they're in very difficult for the opposition. The Lions, I'm still not convinced, are actually going to be a team that uh, have their shit together. Uh, the Giants, okay, uh, it's a bit of a push to say that signing an offensive tackle, drafting him number four. But after that, most of the teams that are there actually have something about them. Like, the Chargers have a Super Bowl-ready roster. Whether or not this QB is going to come in and actually be able to uh, get them to a point where they can compete. After that, okay, the Panthers probably aren't at, uh, at that level. But... And the Jags, and then I'm talking myself out of this now. Well, Joe, can I, can I, can I, can I stop you with the Chargers there? I think I let you go a little bit long with all that optimism. I've got to be the, the killjoy here every once in a while, pretty much every show. But um, I think the Chargers are the biggest losers last night, and this is coming from someone who has no idea what the Packers are doing. The Chargers took uh, Herbert in the in the first, in the top ten. Six. To me, that's insanity. Or the top six. Yeah, the top six. Yeah. To me, that's insanity. He like watching his tape. It's like watching Josh Allen, where Josh Allen is missing open receiver after open receiver, but he doesn't run like Josh Allen. So he's going to come in and struggle. And Tyrod Taylor is getting replaced again by an inferior player, as far as I can tell, which is the third franchise in a row that's happened to him. The like. 
I, I posted it last night after he was picked. There is a play of Justin Herbert throwing a Hail Mary at the end of a game where they're losing by six points, and he's throwing it from the 35-yard line, and he misses the end zone. Do you know how big the end zone is? If you're 35 yards away throwing a Hail Mary, that should not happen. And then you look at their second pick, that, which they traded up with the Patriots, trading with the Patriots, they gave their second and third round picks, valuable picks, for Kenneth Murray, who is a very small linebacker, who is a very, like, normally when you're small, you have to be a really, really good player. You have to be like Tyron Matthew. You have to be really instinctive. You have to be able to read the game. You have to be able to work against blocks. You have to get get the beat defenders or beat blockers rather to the position right position at the start of plays, and he doesn't play like that. He's not that level of talent. When I watched him, and originally I was wondering how he was being talked about as a first rounder, because to me he looked more like a third or fourth round pick, a guy who could wind up playing special teams. So you now have the Chargers coming with a quarterback who I just don't think is anywhere close to the worst the, the pick that they gave, and then they traded up for a linebacker who I think is going to struggle to be on the field when teams are running the ball at him. So. I think the Chargers had a, came into this with a lot of reasons to be optimistic, with an incredibly talented roster already in place, and they've kind of bundled it a little bit. Is is the point of signing a small linebacker like that that you already have a bunch of other people who can do different things, and so from situation to situation, he he won't be on. He's not a three down player, and they they don't feel like they need a three down player because they have um, brilliant defensive ends and um, linebackers already. Well, no, the point of it is, so everyone knows that Derrick Henry is now, okay? But Derrick Henry 15 years ago was just a normal running back. He was, that's, that's well, not normal because he was still massive. But guys like Brandon Jacobs, Willis McGahey, Jamal Lewis, Jerome Bettis, all the running backs back then were massive. And now everything's gotten smaller on the offensive side. So the defense is, is trying to figure out how they can get smaller as well. And some teams have done this really, really well. You look at Fred Warner in San Francisco. You look at Eric Kendricks in Minnesota. They've located or they've, they've identified shorter, smaller linebackers who excel in space, who have a perfect skill set to work in space and hide all their size issues, even though they're not really issues because it's a strength when you drop into coverage, not being as big. And then other teams have just, saw, have just looked for athletes and gone, oh, we'll take Dion Buchanan. We'll take... Uh, whoever else you can think of or like guys Alec Ogletree we'll just take the guy who's a freak athlete it doesn't matter that he has no idea what he's doing on the field it doesn't matter that his footwork is bad it doesn't matter that he's slow to process what's happening in front of him we're going to take him and he's going to work because all we need now is speed so like you can get the Bobby Wagners in the later rounds and stuff like that but I just don't think Kenneth Murray is anywhere close to this and if they wanted that type of player they could have gone with Isaiah Simmons in the top 10 who I think is a very interesting fit in, or who I think was going to be a very interesting fit no matter where he wound up but the fact that he would have gone to uh, Los Angeles to the Chargers, it would have been a perfect fit because they had guys there who were malleable. You've got Chris Harris there who can play inside outside. You've got Derwin James who can play literally any position on defense. And you've got Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram who can move around the defensive line. So to me, it, it, the, the Chargers made a lot of sense for a player of this type. They did not make a lot of sense for Kenneth Murray. I don't think Kenneth Murray belonged at that level or in that position. They obviously felt like they needed a quarterback and that they didn't think that they were going to be able to bring in Cam Newton or whoever and that, that was going to be their solution. So they, they've decided that they're going to go this route, which is the same route the Giants went last year. Um, and I just, I'm not quite sure that it's worked out for the Giants yet. And we'll wait and see what happens with the Chargers in their uh, sexy new uniforms. Um, uh, where should we go next? Where do you, where, who like we should talk? Okay, let's do the the QB issue then at uh, Green Bay. You mentioned you're not sure what they're doing, Keen. Um, they've anointed a successor uh, a little bit early in the day to be anointing a successor to um, one of the all-time great QBs. Incredibly early. It's the same age as Brett Favre with Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers isn't playing the way Brett Favre was. Aaron Rodgers is still one of the very best quarterbacks in the league, and at 35, with his athletic profile, with his skill set, he should be a high-end quarterback for the next four years. 
like Darren Rodgers, I think it's 16 years now they haven't picked a wide receiver, running back, or tight end. And well, actually, they would have picked Michael Finley, I think. So it's 16 years without a wide receiver or running back in the first round. And it, it's like Aaron Rodgers was on Pat McAfee's show yesterday and literally said, Oh, I hope they pick a receiver before the draft. And it was like, It's backed up by what you see on the field. They last year, I so I chart drops, I, draw, I chart how many yards are lost on each drop. So if a wide receiver is targeted 10 yards down the field and he drops the ball when it's thrown to him, that's 10 lost yards. Aaron Rodgers last year was at something like 800 and, or 760, 750 yards. Second closest was at 500 and the average was 250. His receivers are horrendously bad and they've managed to get to the NFC Championship game as at the, at the time I said this is the worst 13-3 team I've ever seen and I would stick by that. It's still an offense that's wholly reliant on Devontae Adams who drops more passes than Nelson Aguilar. So you've got a quarterback now who you're going to develop and look uh, and work behind the, behind the scenes which is a fine thing in theory but in my uh, opinion over watching NFL over uh, watching NFL teams over the last 20 years there's always going to be a team who's maxing out their roster at the specific time. The team who recognizes our window is open right now we're going to do everything possible to win this year, next year and the year after. Those teams are generally very smart if they've, got, if they've got the quarterback. And then on the other side of that, you've got the teams who recognize we can't win right now. We've got to look at our long-term outlook and rebuild and, and build for the long term. And then there are teams in the middle who try and do both at the same time. And it doesn't work. Unless you're the Patriots, unless you're Bill Belichick, who can, is the great equalizer because he can get more out of a third-round pick than most people get out of a first-round pick, they're the only team that can really do that. The Cowboys have been guilty of this for years as well, where they will uh, draft guys like who, who don't fit as immediate starters or immediate contributors, and then they come to the playoffs or they even don't reach the playoffs, and they're outmatched by teams who have maximized their roster at a given time. So every team should go into the NFL draft thinking, we're either rebuilding and maximizing our rebuild or we're maximizing what we can do right now and maximize this roster that we've got right now. And the Packers, with Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback, being a playoff team last year, should have been maximizing their current roster. And instead, they traded a first-round pick and a fourth-round pick to go and get a quarterback I like, but a quarterback I like is a second-round pick, as a developmental guy, not someone who's ever going to play ahead of Aaron Rodgers, someone who is going to be in the background. And uh, apparently, reports today, Adam Schefter said that Matt LaFleur just simply loves his quarterback. So if you love this quarterback, then trade Aaron Rodgers and move on and hit the rebuild, because that's fine. You'll get a huge uh, amount of picks for Aaron Rodgers, and you can actually have a proper long-term identity. Now you've just got muddled, muddled what you've already got. Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be happy, and Jordan Love isn't going to get the development he needs, because he's not going to play when he's ready to play. It's going to be Rodgers, or they're going to have to kick him out, and it's just a whole mess. And somehow, Rodgers is going to wind up as a Patriot, I think. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> that would be interesting. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Mike Carlson was on OTBM this morning, and here's what he made at Green Bay's decision to snag a quarterback. Have a listen. One of the biggest shocks from, I think, the, the first round was Jordan Love getting picked by uh, the Green Bay Packers. What, what does this mean for Aaron Rodgers? Is, is this a, a long-term replacement or is, his, is is there something here that we don't know? Because this seems like one of the more shocking uh, and probably worst decisions that we've seen already in this year's draft. Um, <clears throat> it's funny. Love Love was all over the place in drafts, you know, and some some people really love him and some, no, no pun intended, and, and some didn't. Uh, and he's a guy who needs work. And to me, I, I always, these, these things ring a bell in the back of my head. Love was picked in almost the same position that Aaron Rodgers was picked uh, by Green Bay when they had Brett Favre at quarterback and Rodgers sat behind Brett Favre. I think they're thinking pretty much the same thing at this point. They could trade into a position where they could get a guy they thought was a first-round talent and a long-term solution. And he's got a ton of natural ability, um, you know, which 
which in his junior year he showed. His senior year, you can make <clears throat> excuse me, you can make arguments that the team around him wasn't changes hurt him so he's a guy they can develop there won't be a rush to push Aaron Rodgers out of town again for the same reason they've got him for five years at reasonable prices Mm -hmm. they can take their time with him but it gives them a backup that they might not be in position to get in the next draft or the draft after that should Rodgers who also has an injury history, collarbone in particular, and who is getting old, um, should Rodgers either uh, not be able to play or decide he doesn't want to play anymore. Yeah, what about that argument, Kian, that they've got love now essentially because they traded the extra pick to move up to get him in the first round for fear that somebody else might get him. And the cost of that pick or the benefit of spending that pick isn't the lost player. It's actually the fact that you have him for another year. So if Aaron Rodgers has four great years left, you have his replacement in the building for that fifth year and you have a, a full year of him on his rookie contract. And if he's good, great. You've got your you've got your QB of the future. And if he's not, well, what really have you lost? Well, you've lost. it's just very hard for me to look past what you've lost because you have actually lost the ability to add and make your team better. It's not like this team is Super Bowl ready. They're going to regress now this year. Because, okay, if you were going to do this, if you're going to add Jordan Love in the draft, I would be 100% okay with it if you'd gone out and signed Emmanuel Sanders. If you'd made free agent moves that made sense. If you'd gone and got a tight end instead of just releasing Jimmy Graham. All you've done this offseason is get worse as a team. And now you've got Jordan Love. It's fine. That, that's perfectly fine. That's, if you like Jordan Love, he's got... Like Jordan Love, let, let's not talk about Jordan Love like he's a terrible prospect. He's got Mahomes-like qualities outside of the arm. He's got that ability to play inside and outside of the structure. He throws off the platform very well. He can actually hit some really, really impressive throws at times. And he's actually quite an intelligent player. But I also thought, I, I thought he was going to be the Patriots pick. The Patriots traded out instead of picking him. So it's not like every team was desperate for this guy. I think you could have wound up getting him in the second round rather than trading up in the first round. It, that was one of the discussions last night as well because they jumped over, was it the 49ers and the Vikings? And no one thought that the 49ers and the Vikings were going to take uh, take take a quarterback. Like they're all locked into who they already have. So it, it's a, a complete mess to me. I think you can take it in any different direction you want. Maybe in five years we look back on this and say, hey, weren't they right? They've got a third Hall of Fame quarterback in a row. But I just don't don't think it's worth punting on your current season, punting on what you've got in the immediate future. This is very much what Ted Thompson would have done. I thought the new GM here, Gutekurs, was a little bit different because he made big splashes last year on the defensive side of the ball, got Preston Smith, and uh, got the Smith brothers playing off the edges there. So, like, you saw the benefit of spending money and being aggressive last mm. offseason. They should have followed that up and be aggressive this offseason, and they just didn't do it. So it, it's being trapped in no man's land, and I just don't know really how to put a real positive spin on it. If you're if you're trading Aaron Rodgers, it makes perfect sense to me, but if you're trading Aaron Rodgers, I'm questioning what the hell you're doing as a football executive. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Kian, what do you make? Or sorry, Ron, what do you make? Um, well, just on Mike Carlson apologising for using Jordan's love's name as a pun, like I'm going to be getting great mileage out of uh, out of that name when the pick six comes back, so just be ready for that. Um, and Keen mentioned the Pat McAfee show. I think Rogers said he was going to track down the first rounder and give them a call last night. So I'd say that was a very awkward conversation. But broadly speaking, like Keen's covered a lot of it there. But I just don't get the logistics of moving up because, as Keen said, like they skipped, they skipped the Titans who've just signed Ryan Tannehill. They skipped the Ravens who obviously have the best human alive at quarterback. The Seahawks who have Wilson, who's the whole franchise basically, and then Miami who literally drafted a quarterback like a few minutes before that. So. I don't know why they felt the need to move up. Did they think, as Keane said, that the Patriots were high on this guy and that they were going to jump in and, and get him? I'm not sure. But like, as much as 
he has Patrick Mahomes-like qualities and there's a high ceiling with that in mind. The floor that he's coming into the league on is actually quite low. Like 12 months ago when people were projecting this draft, which is obviously a fool's errand to be drafting next year's draft 12 months out, but Jordan Love was in the top 10, top 15 of a lot of people's picks. And he had such a bad final year that that's kind of flipped on its head. It's like a reverse Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was a fifth round projection 12 months ago and now he's the best player in America apparently. So I just think it's, it's a very interesting one. The contractual implications I do understand. Like it's so much beneficial as we saw with the Ravens coming back to get Lamar in the first round. You get that extra year to play with. So I get it from that perspective. But as Keen said, this is a team that was in the championship game Granted, they got blown out by the 49ers, but they weren't a million miles away from a Super Bowl team. And, like, I just, it's baffling to me. Basically, you're, you're thinking about five years' time when you should be thinking about six months' time. Okay, well, is there no chance that he is one of these QBs who they're going to put on the field of play for certain types of things the same way, say, the Saints have done? Like, has he got the breakout athleticism that taysom hill has i'm not sure i i think i i definitely see your point there's definitely value in him for that but is aaron Rodgers going to uh, buy into losing minutes in the same way drew Brees does i no. can't see it to be honest. no aaron Rodgers is going to be like uh his his resting bitch face is going to be uh, on display for everybody to see if there is any instance of uh, yeah. him being and on the sideline and aaron Rodgers like that's a big it has made so much play on the whole Brett Favre not being nice to him when he first got to the team. So it's going to be interesting to see how he, how he deals with this dynamic. And people are so keen and God bless historical symmetry and God bless narratives. But this is nothing like the Favre thing where the Green Bay Packers just couldn't believe their luck that this generational quarterback was sitting there in the draft room. They were like, we have to take this guy. He's not a premium need, but we have to take him. And if I was a GM, which I probably never will be, I'm always taking the best available player on the board. And... This is nothing like that. Jordan Love, nobody was that keen on him. So I don't see why they felt the need to rush in. That's a big uh, detail as well. The idea that Aaron Rodgers is going to be unhappy with this and uh, his face is going to be all over anything. Like over here, we remember that as Raj Khan with Sexton. But it, we talked about it last week with Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll and the Seahawks defense and how Russell Wilson was ha- was managed differently and how he was looked after and, and nurtured rather than just put in a competition. And that's a big deal with developing quarterbacks. So now you've taken love and you put him in a situation where the whole fan base, like literally everyone in the fan base replying to their tweet announcement last night was just abusing the pick and hated the pick. So now he's like a bit of an enemy in the team that has drafted him, the team that he's meant to be nurtured by and developed by. So it's a bad situation for Love too. Like if he had gone to any other team like that was looking to develop a quarterback or if he had been a second round pick rather than a first round pick, it's a completely different narrative. And Aaron Rodgers isn't this enemy now for him, isn't this one-on-one guy who's got to try and beat or got to take over for. And it's a lot easier for Love to develop in that circumstances. So it's just, it's bad all around. And it's especially bad when Mike Carlson is trying to claim he didn't make a pun intentionally because he's never actually done that. <laughs> okay. Uh, the other thing that happened was that the only running back drafted in the first round went to the defending Super Bowl champions. So they've got the best running back, apparently, uh, this year on top of the best offense that we've seen for a long period of time. Um, the rich get richer is the opening line of the uh, ESPN uh, post-draft analysis here. I don't know anything about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, but I suspect that we're all about to in the next 12 months. Uh, probably, I, it, 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 here's the thing. Like This guy wasn't even talked of as the top running back. This running back class was, it was DeAndre Swift was the guy most people talked about. But it's such a, I, I don't want to say bad running back class, 
but it's such a running back class that lacks star power, that lacks high-end talent, that it could have been one of four or five different guys and, no, and, and one going in the first round itself was a surprise. So, like, whether this guy takes over for Damian Williams, whether he becomes a high contributor in the Chiefs' offense, we don't really know. Andy Reid is typically pretty good at picking uh, players, but, of course, everyone is still missing it 40% of the time. He still picked John Baldwin back in the day. So, like, there, there's... There's reasons to be excited because of the fit and because he's going through this offense. But if this if if he gets more than uh, 100 touches in, as a rookie, I don't think it'll be a big deal. I think the Chiefs are in a very nice place where they can add guys if they really like them. And they must have really liked him because they don't necessarily need a running back. It would have made more sense for me if they had gone and added another defensive player. But Andy Reid knows what he's doing. Like It's hard to argue with this team at this point. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I think the... The thing about him, Jer, like just judging by the analysis, is that he's as much, if you watch his highlights from LSU, he's as much a part of the passing game as he is the running game. So running backs are almost defunct in their traditional sense, but he could be like a James White type guy who, who can get out there and catch the ball as well. So that's probably what the Chiefs are thinking. Much like uh, Isaiah Simmons on the other side of the ball, this guy can be used in various situations and just a different quirk for that team because everyone knows what they're bringing to the table now. But as you said, the rich get richer. It's just another layer for them. The first wide receiver off the board was Henry Ruggs. He went to the Las Vegas Raiders. Had to uh, check my words carefully there. Then the next one was Jerry Judy, who didn't go until 15 to the Broncos. People had expected that perhaps the Broncos were going to trade up as far as 10 or 11 to try and get uh, Jerry Judy and uh, get in ahead of the Raiders. But they didn't have to. They sat there, and that's a big win for them because they now have him and Cortland Sutton. Um, after that, it was CeeDee Lamb who went off third, and uh, he ended up going to the Cowboys. I'd say everybody who got a wide receiver feels pretty good about the... Sorry, everybody who got one of those first three wide receivers feels pretty good about life this morning, Keen. Well, it's funny because we were watching the draft last night and like it was very like like it, you couldn't criticize the broadcast or the actual event of it because obviously that's restriction like it, there's nothing we can do with that but the draft itself was one of the more boring drafts in recent years and I'm not criticizing it when I said I'm saying that in the sense that it was very, very predictable. The big surprise, like 12 months ago, when Daniel Jones got picked six overall, we spent two and a half hours reacting to that and two and a half hours going mad about that because it was an insane pick at the time. <laughs> like Charles Robinson had suggested that the Giants liked Daniel Jones, but we all thought it was going to be with their second first round pick, not their sixth overall pick. And it became this insane, massive story. And we just didn't have one of them last night. So the biggest story last night was the wide receivers dropping further than we expected them to and the order in which they went, which in itself was a big surprise but it's not necessarily a hugely dramatic thing the fits are interesting so Derek Carr threw 7.7% of his passes deep last year he was the best passer on throws further than 10 yards downfield but he didn't throw that far downfield very often so you've got Henry Ruggs now who is a speedster who's a 4.27 speed hasn't really rounded out as an overall receiver he didn't make sense as a fit for the Raiders it was kind of a tribute to Al Davis where they just took the fastest guy in the field the guy with the highest upside in their mind rather than the guy who perfectly fit their offense right now they've already got Tyrell Williams there who kind of fills that role already so it was a very weird decision and very weird pick and Darren Waller can go deep as well I thought Henry Ruggs would wind up with the 49ers obviously they went with Javon Kinlaw which made a lot of sense once after they'd made the pick one I hadn't really thought about beforehand then you look at the other wide receivers Judy going to the Broncos 
I I think Drew Locke is a very good quarterback, a very high upside quarterback. They've got Noah Fant there, who is a moving mountain. They've got Cortland Sutton there, who is a freak athlete and who can adjust to any ball downfield. In theory, Judy is a perfect fit and a perfect complement to that because he's a precise route runner. But it felt more like the the Broncos had an opportunity to go with either C.D. Lamb, who I obviously love, or a guy like Denzel Mims or Brandon Ayuk, who went later in the draft. Oh, Denzel Mims hasn't gone yet. He'll be in the second round. But Brandon Ayuk or... or uh, Denzel Mims, uh, kind of after trading down a little bit or, t- or staying where they were to take him, because it just felt like they could uh, get those matchups going then. I don't think Judy is going to be a, as big of a matchup problem for defenses in that offense, but after adding Melvin Gordon, with Philip Lindsay already there, with Locke coming on in his second year, you can't really c- criticize them for adding another weapon to an offense that looks like it's going to be outstanding. So the other one uh, was then CeeDee Lamb. So CeeDee Lamb was my favorite receiver in this draft. He's the favorite receiver of many, many analysts out there. He's got an incredible ability to create after the catch. He's very precise catching the ball. He needs to learn how to run more routes. The interesting thing about this is how they're going to line up next year. So Mike McCarthy isn't someone who screens receivers open a lot, and he's not someone who runs a lot of wide receiver screens. So if he does, there'll be bubble screens, which means the receiver is running towards the sideline. He's not going to create big plays from there. It's a very difficult thing to do because the defense closes in around you. So Lamb is going to have to have a specific role in this offense, and it's not going to be in the slot. I don't think, like, people look at him, look at his size, look at his skill set and think, oh, he's a slot receiver. He hasn't learned how to run routes yet. He's not Cole Beasley style. He's not Randall Cobb even, where you control him in. He knows exactly what he's doing at all times. So this is really interesting now because Amari Cooper is going to be the one who plays in the slot because Michael Gallup is a vertical receiver. Uh, Blake Jarwin, who's replacing Jason Witten, is a vertical tight end. He's not going to be a possession tight end the way Jason Witten was, working between the numbers, working underneath. Cooper is the only guy on the roster right now who could be a full-time slot receiver and do everything he needs to be done, which is a weird thing because most teams want to have their best receiver outside the numbers. The Cowboys are going to be... Like, they're the Cowboys, so generally there's something ridiculous happening. But this group of skill position players together, regardless of what team they're on, would be a fascinating combination with Dak, who is one of the best quarterbacks in the league, in my view, at the moment. And Dak, who has, must have had a very bizarre night last night because his brother died at the same time as they were drafting C.D. Lamb. So it's a, a weird uh, run of emotions happening with him right now, which is obviously a big story, too. So the Cowboys, the, the Broncos, the Raiders can all be happy with what they've got. But, like, you could talk me into Brandon Ayuk being the best receiver of that group and he went to the 49ers late in the game so apparently uh, I think it was a Schefter who said that the, the 49ers wanted him to kill Harry last year missed out on them one pick ahead and then this year they were making sure they got Ayuk and that's why they traded up I, I, the combination of Ayuk and, and Debo Samuel together is an outstanding pair and that, the 49ers are getting better even though they're still stuck with that quarterback I'm not very high on That's been hammered by the 49ers fans I think that they blew a, a wad of picks to get Ayuk why are you so high on no. He's so smooth. He's like Robert Woods. If you, he can run any route you want him to break. So one of the big things about uh, in, the, in analyzing football is looking for ways of movement. So if a quarterback, I, I'm going to use the quarterback because it's the easiest way to explain this. If a quarterback drops back in the pocket, sets his feet, throws the ball. If he drops back in his pocket, drops back in the pocket, holds the ball and keeps moving his feet and keeps moving his feet, keeps moving his feet when he could have already thrown the ball, or if he, he moves his feet more or in different directions the way he's supposed to, it becomes a slower reaction. This it becomes an easier action for the defense to. 
react to. So you don't want to waste any movement. So when you call a wide receiver smooth, he's making the right steps at the right time, hitting the, the point of his road at the exact time he needs it to come open. A guy like Terry McLaurin, who was a rookie in Washington last year, who we spent a lot of time watching yesterday, who looks a lot like Odell Beckham, who's going to be a superstar in this league, McLaurin is. He doesn't waste any movement at all. Makes outstanding plays at the catch point. Is athletic enough to get open? So I think Ayuk has very similar qualities to guys like that, where he's going to fit perfectly in Kyle Shanahan's offense. And if you're a 49ers fan and Kyle Shanahan picks a wide receiver, you just go, yeah, that's fine. Because Kyle Shanahan's track record with wide receivers is like 90% hit rate. Well, Dante Pettis is the is the aberration here, who they drafted in the second round two seasons ago and uh, has just not been any good. Like, he looked quite good in the first season, but... I, he just doesn't seem to have the heart but for, I, the, for the gig at the moment. Well, the, comfort, the, comforting, the comforting thing about that is Shanahan recognised it and went, OK, we need to go get Emmanuel Sanders. He didn't stay with that guy, which is what other coaches will do. They will stay with their failed project because they have a level of pride that they've invested in picking this guy. With Shanahan, he's had a rotating cast of wide receivers and he hits constantly on guys you don't expect to hit. Like, oh, he made Aldrich Robinson an NFL caliber receiver. And outside of that, he had one decent spell with the Vikings. And outside of that, he hasn't been effective at all. Yeah, OK. Uh, Ronan, the Ravens, how did they get on? What did they do? Were you happy? Yeah, well, I mentioned Patrick Queen last week as a guy that people were talking about and that's who they ultimately went for I was getting a bit nervous because I, I figured he was too good to drop that far but he ultimately did just the way the thing went and the, the wide receivers going so late and it just the Ravens almost never miss in the draft and this is another example of that this guy seems like a sure thing and CJ Mosley he's very much in the same mold as that that was the one drawback of this time last year where the Ravens lost Mosley and didn't really seem to have a, an alternative and it was borne out in the season where they couldn't really get pressure on the quarterback it was all about their unbelievable secondary which we talked about on the show last year that they were, they were almost coverage sacks that the Ravens were getting they had everyone tied up in the secondary that the front line could get to the quarterback but this guy can actually he's so versatile three down back or three down player that he can uh, he can affect the game in so many ways so I'm excited to see what he does and I just I hope they can come across this is such a stacked wide receiver class that hopefully there's someone in the second round for them that they can add to because as I said last week that is another area where they're a bit short. Yeah, it looks like there's plenty of those. Um, Conor McGraw wants to know from YouTube, what's key and think of Bill Belichick trading down from 23? <laughs> so that's what Bill Belichick does. I think we said this last week. Bill Belichick doesn't believe in getting the highest picks possible. He believes in getting as many picks as possible. He's up to 13 now, I think, in this class. The nice thing for him is... He's great at identifying uh, specific fits in his defense. So you look at Kyle Van Noy. When Kyle Van Noy went to the Lions, he was a highly thought of prospect. who He played on the edge. He wasn't effective there. Belichick saw that, and he knew what Kyle Van Noy's skill set was and said, oh, I'll give you a seventh-round pick for him and moved him to middle linebacker, played him an inside linebacker, and obviously Kyle Van Noy became a linchpin of the defense, and now he's signed a big deal elsewhere. So... You have Belichick with 13 picks, with 13 opportunities to guys, find guys who very specifically fit very specific roles. That's good. That's always a good thing. I, I like the big reason that we thought this year might be different was because you think they need a quarterback. But we, our biggest takeaway probably from last night that we haven't talked about should be that Jared Stidham looks like he's going to start for the Patriots now, unless Jacoby Brissett becomes trade option, unless. Colin Kaepernick, that's not going to happen. Unless Aaron Rodgers becomes a trade option, it just that's who they seem to be left with. So it's either that or maybe Jacob Fromm in the second round. And even then, I don't think he's going to be a, a starter from year one. So the Patriots are in a really interesting position. They've got a lot of quality already on the roster, even though they lost Brady. I think the defense is going to get even better. Uh, it was announced yesterday that David Andrews is coming back this year, a center who missed last year because of blood uh, clots in his lungs. So there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about the Patriots. The quarterback there is uh, obviously a major question mark. 
Mark, we don't know. But with all these picks, Belichick is going to restock that roster. And the last one is, who does Keenan think is the biggest reach in the first round? Oh, Herbert. We already talked about it. It's Herbert. But I'm not going to repeat what I said about him. But I think the Eagles as well took a receiver in Jalen Rieger, who I believe is a running back. I think he's very similar to Ty Montgomery from Stanford, who was a, was a receiver who came out, went to the Packers, couldn't work as a receiver and had to transition to running back. I just don't see his ability to get open at every level of the field. I don't see him as someone with a wide catch radius. And he dropped an awful lot of passes. He doesn't have that. Like what I talked about with Brad, with Ayuk, he doesn't have that ability to make precise movements all the time. There's a lot of wasted movement, which makes it easy for defensive backs to just sit on them and lock them down so uh, it, it's a weird one as well though because the eagles are typically very smart with these selections so going against them has been uh, a bad a bad look over the years they've how long or how roseman generally knows what he's doing so and they desperately need a wide receiver too so it's an, a very interesting uh once you get to the second half of the draft actually there's quite a few picks that are look kind of uh like we talked, we've talked about what was the vikings pick it's, it's gone from my head now but the vikings, Vi- oh, the vikings got uh jefferson yeah and that's the straight swap for Stefan Diggs. Justin Jefferson so Stephon from LSU. Diggs, yeah, that's Joe Burrow's guy. Yeah, so like he's that's a straight swap for Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs is obviously a much better receiver than Justin Jefferson will be this year. So no matter what, it's a downgrade. But the interesting aspect of that is Justin Jefferson is a slot receiver. Jamar Chase was the superstar for LSU, and he's not coming out until next year. So you play, take Jefferson, a guy who needs to play in the slot, you put him with Adam Thielen, who excels in the slot but can play outside, and you put him in an offense where it's a lot of two two receiver sets. So it's a confusing pick and something I'm going to have to look into because apparently Gary Kubiak, the Vikings offensive coordinator, absolutely loves this guy. And I just don't understand the fit yet. So it, it, it's maybe there's a, something I'm missing. Maybe there's something that, that needs to be found out. Maybe it's about blocking in the run game. It can be something like that with coaches you never really know. And that's kind of the fun that we get now over the next few weeks after the draft. Before we have all the speculation, now we get to look at what specifically teams are thinking and how these picks are going to work. Okay. All right. Any uh, last words to you, Ronan? No, I just it, it wasn't the most uh, brilliant draft in terms of entertainment, but there were some interesting things like teams certainly taking picks that they probably weren't gonna at the start of the night, like the Dallas Cowboys taking Ceedee Lamb. I'm sure they probably didn't reckon he'd be there, and it wasn't exactly a need, as Keane pointed out, that Gallup is there, and also Amari Cooper just got paid, so they probably just landed on this guy and thought he's too good to turn down. And I always think that's the best way to approach a draft: just make it work, get the best players in. You saw with Dermot James a couple of years ago when the Chargers brought him in, he was just so good. They were like, we'll find use for him somewhere. And in actual fact, they can find use for him everywhere. And Isaiah Simmons, as I mentioned earlier, same thing. Like there's, People can overthink this and try and fit a need with their with their pick, but sometimes you just have to take the best guy, and that's what the, the Cowboys did. Yeah. So I'm just looking forward to seeing it. I'd say more of that's going to happen in the second round. And the Patriots, it's just so intriguing. Like They're never going to tank. Belichick's too clever. They're going to go 9-7 and seven anyway, no matter who's on the roster. But... I just wonder, like, is Jameis Winston calling his agent? Like, all these open starting spots have been filled at this stage, and his asking price might come right down. Same with Cam Newton. He might be like, do I take a one-year sort of prove-it contract and just say, Bill, please give me a shot here for $2 million and try and play lights out? And, you know, you never know. But, like, I just think they're the biggest losers out of this. Two is a huge winner, and there's a few others. But I think the lads who weren't drafted last night, the people who aren't even in the draft, they're the biggest losers of the whole thing. I, I, do you think, because I actually feel like Cam is a big winner in that um, a couple of teams didn't, the Patriots in particular. Is Cam Newton to the Patriots not also a really viable opportunity now, Kian? But They have no money, though. Uh, well, they, they, they have no money, yes. They, they saved a lot of money from not picking in the first round, and they also saved money from um, getting rid of Gronks. So they, they went from having a million to 10 million overnight. 
No, 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 they didn't because that's a retired that that wasn't on the books already. So getting Gronk's contract off the books doesn't give them actually any more money. It just prevents them from going nine million under underneath, as far as I know. So the they have one point five million, so they're going to have to make room regardless because it takes about three, four, three and a half, four million to sign your rookies. So they'll have movements to do. The, with the way Cam Newton is set up, the the quarterback is going to have to, or the the deal is going to have to be relatively cheap anyway, because no one's given, no one's buying, no one's buying to sign him now. No one's desperate to, to move in and get him. So he might end up signing a prove it deal, which might be a couple of million. So if that works for him perfectly in the Patriots, that would make sense because he needs to prove his health and he needs to prove his ability. I, I did this yesterday. I tweeted out just uh, Cam, Cam's trolls from last year. There were 89. He was accurate on 42 of them, and the misses were ugly. Like they were really, really bad. So it was a very clear his arm wasn't functioning properly, his foot isn't functioning properly, apparently. So there's a lot of question marks there. Okay. If they can figure that out, they need to get him in beforehand. Outside of that, Washington makes a lot of sense too because Dwayne Haskins isn't really ready. To play. If if we this show went on any longer, uh, Keen, you'd be uh, topless. So I don't think anybody <laughs> needs to see that. Uh, my thanks to uh, to Keen and Ronan. Thanks for being part of our Four Off Friday special edition of the Snap, which is uh, looking back on the first round of the draft. Uh, whatever you're up to today, use the hashtag Four Off Friday if you're getting dolled up to the nines. And you can donate at offtheball.com forward slash donate. And of course, before I go, I want to tell you about signing up to our OTB Club Gridiron. It's got the latest news, uh, all the content from the Snap, latest American football news as it breaks from Ireland and the USA. Podcasts as well as both long and short form video uh, are all included. You can subscribe at offtheball.com forward slash Club Gridiron and enjoy all that OTB Club Gridiron has to offer. See you next week. Best of luck.